Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 75 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. I'm Chris. Episode 75. 75 is a big number. We've been doing this a long time. We have. And it just gets to be more fun and more fun, Chris. It sure does. (laughs) Before we jump into our regular segments, which I know we have a lot to talk about, so we need to jump in, um, we just want to remind everybody that we have a co-read-along coming up. With Jenny. From Reading Envy Podcast. If you're not listening to Reading Envy, you should start. Definitely do. Not to should you. You're never (laughs) supposed to should people. Don't should on each other. Right. Right. But it's a really fabulous podcast. It's one of the first that I started listening to. Yeah, me too. I think. I mean, after yeah. like Books on the Nightstand went away and I was scrambling for new book stuff to listen to. Yeah. And um, Jenny has a really lovely voice. Yeah. And w- with her podcast, on her podcast, we are going to discuss Gone with the Wind. By Margaret Mitchell. One of the big American classics. Some consider it the greatest American novel. Right. I mean, I have to say that I have been trying to get a library copy and it's impossible. It's yeah. There's holds on it. So think about how long this book has been available. And there, you know, every library which I utilize, which is quite a few, there are holds. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think it's a great summer read. I mean, a lot of yeah. people love to read big books. Yeah. In the summer, um, because you just have more time, I guess. A lot of people do. Some people don't. Some people ramp up in the summer, especially where we live here on the shoreline. It's a lot of people's bread and butter time. That's right. Time to make hay, as Mm -hmm. they say. And Jenny has a way of doing read-alongs where she breaks it down into weeks, which I think some people really enjoy, especially with a book of this size. And this book has five parts, and so she just broke it down by part. We will link to her Goodreads page where you can see how she has it set up and join in. And join in the conversation there. And I think that's, you know, for me, it's hard to to read that way sometimes. But with a big book like this, I think I'm definitely going to try to jump in on each part and just have a conversation about it. Because it's been, like I said, 20 years since I've read the book, so I really don't remember any yeah. of the details. I've never read it. Really, what I know about Gone with the Wind comes from the Carol Burnett show, which isn't, <laughs> which isn't a good uh, insight. I have to say, I did start reading it. I have an e-copy. I was hoping to get a hard copy. I wanted all three, you know, because I do have the audio, which is just under 50 hours. <laughs> I have the ebook, and I started just by reading the foreword, which is written by Pat Conroy. And it was just so fun to read his writing mm-hmm. again. And it has quite a special place in his heart because his mother used to read it to him, I want to say, every year or something. I think all the time. Yeah. From, from what yeah. I remember of him talking about it, it was like the, it was like more important than the Bible in his, right. his home growing up. And then on the book Cougars, podcast we're gonna read Safira and the Slave Girl by Willa Cather it's her last novel her last published novel and they came out you know a couple years apart we thought it would be interesting to read them together yeah and we haven't we still haven't solidified the dates that we're going to be recording with each other but we do know that the podcast will air in June. in June, yeah. Um, Gone with the Wind, the early part of June. Safira and the Slave Girl, the ending of June. part of June. Yeah. So we hope you'll join us for these exciting read-alongs. Yeah, I'm really excited about both of them. I am too. Yeah, I have my copy right here. And I'll start reading it next week because that's, well, yeah, the last week in April. Right. Is next when the read-along starts. Is so. when Jenny's part one read-along begins. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. So what are you currently reading? Well, I'm currently reading Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. 
Emily and I saw her last night in an event, and we'll talk about that later in this episode. But I was going to save this novel for the summer as a treat for Mm -hmm. summer reading. But I was so excited last night after seeing her, and I was I was looking to start a new novel. I Emily and I were talking on the drive home, and I was like, you know, I'm going to start a new book. I'm not sure what it's going to be. I took this out of my bag, and I thought it has to be this. So I'm loving it. I'm I think I'm on page fifty nine. Yeah, it's such a fast read. I mean, it is a page turner. Yeah, it's really good. Like I love the writing. It's Wonderful nature writing. There's a murder investigation. I know, Emily, you talked about it on the podcast in the past. Right. So I'll um, wait to talk more about this next episode. Excellent. I'm so glad you started it. I, too, started a book just yesterday, although I read about five pages, and then I was thrilled to finish the first chapter. I sadly have been very busy in my work life and haven't had much time to read. But this is called The Lost Family by Jenna Blum. Hmm. And um, she's going to be at the Newburyport Literary Festival this weekend In on the panel I talked about um, with food and literature. And this is a book I have mentioned on the podcast before because I got a copy of it a year and a half ago from the publisher. And it seemed right in my wheelhouse because it's about food. It takes place in a restaurant. But for some reason, I mean, it's it has a prominent place on my desk. And for some reason, I just haven't picked it up. And now knowing that I'm going to meet the author on Saturday, it's like, yeah, time to start. Yeah. And I have to say, I was drawn in from the very first paragraph. Actually, not even. You open the book and there's menus from a restaurant, the restaurant, you know, the fictional restaurant. So, in this. Cool. I was like, all right, I'm in. <laughs> And I'm hungry. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I've really only read one chapter. I'm hoping to actually read quite a bit of it today and tomorrow, hopefully before I get to the festival. Nice. So again, The Lost Family by Jenna Blum. I have to, I'm having a hot flash. <laughs> well, you I don't know, know what? if you can see my glasses are fogging up. <laughs> it's funny. You know, it's spring in Connecticut, right? In spring in many places, there can be a 30 to 40 degree temperature change throughout the course of the day. So I woke up this morning, my house was below 60, and I started a fire, which is going strong. But now the sun is shining, and it's probably getting close to 60 degrees outside. And so it's not just you. My house is quite warm. This is a hot flash. Okay, never mind. Definitely feel it creeping (laughs) on me. So so are you reading anything else? I'm reading Gone with the Wind by Margaret Mitchell. Yeah, I have, as I said, I've started the four, I've got through the foreword and um, I have not started the audio. I think I'm driving up to the gentleman callers this evening, which is an hour drive. And I think I'm going to get started with it on audio. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm excited. I previewed the audio on Audible Mm -hmm. and I don't think I'm going to go with the, the audio though I think I'm going to stick with reading the book but who knows I feel like I just want to have all the resources since it's such a long book I want to have it in every possible way to access it definitely and it's nice to hear a southern accent which is what I was thinking last night seeing Delia Owens yeah you don't hear very many southern accents around here not in our parts we hear Boston accents yeah New York (laughs) yeah so what did you just read I had a pretty good run. I did finish The Jewel Garden, and that was by Monty Don and his wife, Sarah. Um, and that was, the, the subtitle is A Story of Despair and Redemption. So it's a memoir um, that they wrote jointly. And it was interesting to me to see the word redemption in a memoir when we've been hearing so much from Roxanne Gay 
at least writing about trauma, the redemptive storyline when you're writing about trauma isn't necessarily helpful. Mm-hmm. This is a different kind of thing. They're writing about, uh, they had a jewelry business that was really hot in the 80s in London. Like, they sold jewelry to Madonna, Michael Jackson, like, really big-name artists. Mm. And that business tanked because of the economy. You know, like, overnight, practically, things dried up. So they had all this money invested, and they were in debt you know, up to their eyeballs. And they talk about what they went through with that and how their garden that they called the Jewel Garden came to be Mm. at their new home. And so it was, I talked about it on the last episode, it's a memoir about their garden and working together. And what I liked about it as, you know, as an amateur gardener is reading about this professional gardener. I mean, he's called Britain's Gardener, mm-hmm. and he has great TV shows about gardening. It was really neat to see him figuring things out and them making mistakes, it, just how it evolved over time. So I really enjoyed reading about that process of the garden because it is such a creative endeavor and one that you really, it's so cyclical, obviously. Right. And, you know, if you want certain looks and effects and food to eat from the garden like you really have to plan things in advance right you know at the at the end of fall you need to take out whatever's there and prep the soil for the winter and then in the spring prep everything again and you know have your plants ordered or your seedlings started and all that so right. it's a uh, such a labor of love and it, yeah, I really enjoyed it. That was The Jewel Garden, A Story of Despair and Redemption by Monty and Sarah Don. It's a memoir that came out in 2004. So is the redemptive part the fact that they survived this bankruptcy and that sort of thing and then went on to, to prosper and do other things? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's what I get. Yeah. Um, and just, and their relationship is solid through it all. Yeah. And um, they, they met at Oxford. They were both students, and she was married to somebody else Oh wow! at the time. And so they talk a little bit about that in the beginning. And Monty talks about his depression. He has depression pretty chronically. And it's not, I shouldn't say it's like, it, they don't like dig deep into things. Mm-hmm. It's almost surface level in some ways. But you do get a sense of this 20-year, 30-year journey that they've been on. Yeah. And the lot, some of the bits in the book are actually from their journals, their gardening journals that they kept. Oh, that's cool. That's I have great time. admiration for people who garden. I mean, I love the harvest part. <laughs> <laughs> I have really good friends back in Ohio who are gardeners, and one of them is a school teacher. And so she does all of this work, and then she frequently takes like a three-week vacation in the middle of summer. Mm-hmm. So when I lived there, my job was to harvest, which is, I'm like, this is the best relationship ever. You do all the work, I come and eat the food, you know? Yeah. So, um, but it does take a lot of planning and just a lot of, you know, sweat equity to Absolutely. have a, a nice garden. Yeah. So. And, and he talks about it. Like, he's off shooting. He could be out of town. And he hates to leave his home and his mm-hmm. family and his garden. But, you know, he's out there traveling around England and around the world for his TV shows. Talks about coming home, getting home at 10 o'clock at night and getting an hour of work in, in the right. garden. And, and in all weather, rain, like nothing keeps him from it. And there are bits in there about their relationship when it does take a little bit of a toll yeah. on them sure. when they're doing different things. Because they have... Three kids, I think. Two or three kids. So, yeah, there's that too. (laughs) Right. Cool. 
Well, I finished The World That We Knew by Alice Hoffman. Again, this book does not come out until September 24th, 2019. I feel guilt because two of the books that I've just read are not coming out for quite some time. But then I felt less guilt because... (laughs) This is my justification. Both of these authors do have backlists that Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about. Alice Hoffman has a huge backlist. So if she's a new-to-you author with my talking about her, please go and get online, read about all of her different books, because I adore her. She's one of my favorite authors. And when I got the chance to read her newest book early, I jumped on it right away. Unusual for Alice Hoffman, this book takes place during World War II. And unusual for me is to read a book that takes place during World War II, because for me, I've just read so much of it that it has to be something different or a beloved author for me to step back into that world just because I find it so painful, which yeah. isn't a reason, of course, not to read it. But but when you've read a lot of it, yeah, you know, yeah, it's not like you're ignoring it. Right, right. And, you know, I'm really mad at myself, too, because I got this arc from NetGalley. Thank you, NetGalley. And when I got the email alert, there was actually an email from Alice Hoffman explaining what the impetus was for her to write the book. And I cannot find that email anywhere. I must have deleted it. So what I remember is that she was at a book signing and a woman came up to her after the signing and said, you must write about my life. And she kind of rolled her eyes like, sure, lady, I need to write about your life, you know. And then the woman told her her story and then left and they never exchanged any information. And the story just haunted her. And that has and this was years and years ago. And now she's written a novel based on this woman's life. Of course, she doesn't know who the woman is. So it's not, you know, with any specific details about her. But it is a true, true stories of children whose parents at the beginning of World War Two felt like they needed to send their children away, because they just saw that bad things were coming. Yeah, right. So that this is a fictionalized story about that, about a mother who sends her daughter away because she sees that the war is imminent. And she, the mother's mother, so this young girl's grandmother, is bedridden. Mm-hmm. So she knows, the mother knows she can't travel, so she sends the daughter away. And there is magical realism, as a lot of Alice Hoffman's books have, where a golem is created out of mud which is um, kind of a mystical creature that's, that can be created and put to a task. So this golem is put to the task of keeping this woman's daughter safe. Oh. It's very interesting. But um, the story involves three different young women, Leah, Eddie, and Ava. And um, she weaves the, their stories together as they traverse through life during World War II. So it's not, you know, as happens during wartime, there's a lot of sadness and unrest and bad things happen. Mm -hmm. But it was a classic. If you've read Alice Hoffman, it's a classic Alice Hoffman. It was so fun for me to step back into her world. Lots of nature. Alice Hoffman always weaves nature in. And the cover of the book has a heron on it. And a heron plays a key role throughout the story. I loved it. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend, even though it doesn't come out till September, if you are a library goer, you know, recommend it to your library now. 
in our library system now, if you recommend a book and they buy it, they automatically put you on the hold list for it. That's great. So you can be one of the first people who gets it when it comes into the library. Yeah. So it's fabulous. So again, it's called The World That We Knew, Alice Hoffman. Excellent. Well, I what else did I read? Let me flip my page here. I was looking at last episode's notes. I was like, really? I thought I read that a while ago. (laughs) So the other, I read a novel, which I think last episode I talked about how I was having a hard time reading novels, but I read and loved The Museum of Modern Love Hmm. by Heather Rose. Cool cover. Yeah, isn't it neat? It's blocks, you know, 3D blocks of three different colors. Wonderful novel. It is not one that I would normally pick up on my own. So the reason I read it was you know, I participate in the Australian Woman Writers Challenge, which is to read books by Australian woman writers. Check. <laughs> Heather Rose is Australian. She lives um, on Tasmania. Mm. And then also um, Mel of Mel's Book Land Adventures. She's a, a booktuber. She has a read around the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, you I've know, seen that. book club. Yeah. So every month she chooses these three or four books, I think, and has people vote on it, you know, a book from around the world from different countries. And she said, you know, for April, since the Stella Award is being announced, let's pick a book to read that has won the Stella Award. And the Stella Award is the big literary award in Australia for women writers. Okay. So the Museum of Modern Love won the Stella Award. This book came out in 2016. Uh, 2016 in Australia so it won the 2017 award it was just published in the United States yeah I'm not sure when this came out here oh right there Algonquin Books of Chapel Hill 2018 okay so really excellent book I know Jenny speaking of Jenny as we did earlier from Reading Envy she read it and also loved it it's a book about the New York art scene which is again you know not something I would normally gravitate towards reading but since it, you know, hit those two requirements of right. book clubs I'm, I'm into or book challenges, I thought I'd give it a try. I, rec- I requested this from the library and another book, but the other one has been lost. So that oh, no. didn't come in. That request was canceled, but this one did come in. So I thought, okay. I started it. I got sucked in immediately. Oh, and I was like, I oh, that. my God. I was like, this is so great. I devoured the book. Inspired by a performance art exhibit that was done at the Museum of Modern Art in New York by Marina Abramovic. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but she's a performance artist. Also an endurance artist. So some of these performance pieces are about enduring things. Oh, I see. And she's been a practicing artist since I believe the seventies. And she did a lot of exhibits with her ex now ex-husband that were really intense. And a lot of them involved nudity and violence. And it's all related to her background in a lot of, in a lot of ways. So I won't go too much into the details about that, but this novel is plotted around her exhibition called the artist is in, which is where she sat at a table in a, like an opera gown, for I think it was 75 days in a row, and just sat there kind of in the same position at this table, and museum goers were invited to sit down in the chair across from her and just look into her eyes. The only requirement was that they sit there and that they make eye contact with her, and they could sit for as long as they wanted to. Some people didn't last long at all, and other people sat for hours with her. 
Wow. And no words spoken. No words. Yeah. And it's such a profound experience to do something like that. So this novel is about that and around the edges, some of the people who are impacted by it. One is a man who is a composer of movie scores, and he's struggling to write a score for this new animated film for adults by a man in Japan. Hmm. So he's kind of doing it long distance and has a meeting with him, but he's struggling to get things right. Because one of the things going on is his wife has a health crisis and is separated from him. Mm. And then there's a woman from Georgia who is on vacation in New York and gets hooked on this ex- exhibition and spends all of her time at this exhibition. Oh my gosh. She's recovering. She's in mourning from her husband passing away. He was a cotton farmer in Georgia. And then there's a grad student from the Netherlands who is adopted from China. So she's working on her PhD on Marina. These three are the main ones. There are other characters as well, but it's how they interconnect and how they influence each other, how the art influences them. And I just thought it was a beautiful novel about creativity and artists. Um, I should mention that the the woman from Georgia is a middle school art teacher, and she plays a pivotal role for the guy who's the composer. Just a beautiful novel. I love the writing. I love the setup of it. It was just so humane Mm. and human Mm -hmm. and just a beautiful love story Hmm. to art and to people. And I would definitely read more by Heather Rose. This was not her first novel, She has, it doesn't say how many she's written here. Oh, this is her seventh novel. Oh, wow. Yeah, and she's definitely won other prizes as well. This was her first novel published in the United States. So I highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. The Museum of Modern Love by Heather Rose. Excellent. How fun. I read Gods with a Little G by Tupelo (laughs) Hassman. This book does not release until August 13th. 2019. Sorry, everybody. (laughs) But Tupelo, she has a very, very special place in my heart because she was one of the authors at Booktopia Santa Cruz, which was my first Booktopia. Mm -hmm. And the Booktopia where I met the people who are in my Bicoastal Book Club. And so she does have another novel. So if you can't wait to read Gods with a Little G, which I highly recommend, you can read her book called Girl Child. Which was her debut. I love that cover. Oh, it is such a good book. So the cover of the book, let me just describe it. It has like a library checkout card holder with people's names scratched out. You know, the little index cards. And then at the bottom, there's a scene of a road with a trailer park home and two cars. Right, and the person's name that's scratched out on the card is the same name it's over the same and over, name. which is the name of the protagonist. Rory Don Hendricks. Look yeah. at that. I didn't notice that at first. Yeah. And something very interesting about this novel is there's a whole section in it. Let's see if I can find it quickly. That's redacted. Oh, wow. So there's the words there, but they're all crossed out. You can't read it. So she's a great writer. And I had a chance to talk to her quite a bit when we were together in Santa Cruz. And I just adore her. So when I saw 
that she has a new novel out. I jumped on the opportunity to read it. It was such a fast read. I had to take a trip last week and I promised myself, even though I really needed to work on the airplane, I promised that my flights would be pleasure reading time just for my constitution. (laughs) So this is one of the books that I was able to read on the flights. It takes place in a town, I think it's fictional, I never bothered to look, called Rosary, California, which is filled with evangelicals. The protagonist's name is Helen, and she and her group of friends are, even though they're public school kids, they're very much influenced by the fact that their town is filled with evangelicals, and they want to get into, you know, typical kid trouble and have typical kids trying to figure out life and fall in love and deal with hardships and all that trouble, but yet there's this evangelical overshadowing of, you know, like abstinence and, you know, some of the things that come with an evangelical lifestyle. And there's a town not too far away that they kind of all look at with reverence because it's like the big city, even though I'm sure it's a very small town also, (laughs) but it just has more to offer. So some of the kids, you know, try to to get out of town and go there. But Helen is a young woman who's lost her mother. And so the beginning of the book is she and her father just kind of hopeless, missing mom, and also is religious in nature. And as the novel progresses, he ends up in a relationship with another woman who has a son and the son is one of the kids that Rory, we're not Rory, that's the, sorry, that's the protagonist from Tupelo's other book, okay. that Helen um, kind of has goo-goo eyes over, you know, but now all of a sudden they're going to be in-laws, so it gets complicated, oh, as you might imagine. Totally. Um, the other cast of characters are this brother and sister, Wynne and Rain Baleen, who come and live in town, and they have a past that surfaces, and then also Helen has an aunt Bev who's her sister her mother's sister and she has a role in town where she owns like a psychic store which you imagine the evangelicals aren't crazy about having a psychic store in town and she kind of plays a foil to Helen's father who's very religious Tupelo's writing is brilliant I mean, she has a, a very interesting way of writing. It's almost, it's hard to describe. It's, I think she embodies the teenage voice really well, which she did in both of her novels. I, I just highly recommend it. It's kind of hard to describe the story, but it's mm-hmm. a, a coming of age story, very brilliantly woven with lots of different characters. So again, it's called Gods with a Little G. And it, too, has a really cool cover. It's Here, I'll show it to you. It's got a cat on it, but then it also has, it's like oh, a faux that. circular that people post the, up. Yeah, with the tear sheet with the little the tear sheets yeah. off. Yeah. Cute. Yeah. So anyway, again, that releases on August 13th. I will try to remind people about both of these books mm-hmm. as they release in the future. But who's the publisher? Because those are really great cover designs. Farrah, Strauss, and Guru. Is cool. that how you pronounce it? Guru. Uh, I've heard it Guru. Guru. I believe okay. you. I, I never trust my pronunciations. <laughs> <laughs> did you read Fabulous. anything else? I did. I had been looking forward to Austin Kleon's new book. Mm. He's the, the author of Steal Like an Artist. This new book is called Keep Going. 10 Ways to Stay Creative in Good Times and Bad. 
I just love his work. So he's a visual artist. He does a lot of the, a lot of things with words and images. And then a lot of the, I forget what you call this technique where you block out words on a page Mm -hmm. and just certain words pop up. Blackout poetry. I always find his books really motivating and inspiring. I, I mean, this book I think is great for any type of person. You don't have to be an artist. You don't have to consider yourself creative. But if you want to bring more meaning into your life, this would be a great book to read. I think it'd be a great book to buy for yourself this mm-hmm. spring yeah. to start fresh. Yeah, restart. Yeah. Spring is all about restarts to me. I can here. Let me read real quick his ten things. One, every day is Groundhog Day. Two, build a bliss station. Three, forget the noun, do the verb. Oh, I love that. Four, make gifts. Five, the ordinary plus extra attention equals the extraordinary. Mm. Six, slay the art monsters. Seven, you are allowed to change your mind. Mm. Eight, when in doubt, tidy up. Nine, (laughs) demons hate fresh air. Ten, plant your garden. Mm. And so within within each of these chapters, he, he talks about that issue, whatever it may be. And things come up, like... Marie Kondo comes up Mm. and, you know, he talks about that whole tidying up thing versus a lot of creative people like to have their stuff around them. They're very visual people. So Mm. if you have your stuff all around you, you know, papers on the floor and stuff as you're working on a creative project, that is your creative process. And a lot of people will say, well, I know where everything is. Everybody has their own version of tidy. But what he was saying when he said here, when in doubt, tidy up. He said if he gets blocked, you know, he'll often go for a walk or go outside and play with his kids or something. But starting to kind of pick up his stuff can help you see connections of things that you normally Mm. didn't see. And he said that's one reason creative people are often have everything laying everywhere is because, you know, you throw a piece of paper there and then this other thing lands next to it. And there's this juxtaposition you never would have thought of yourself, but there it is right there in front of your face. And it can be really inspirational. Mm, that's cool. Yeah. So he's just so positive. He's not full of bullshit. And I enjoy his work very much. So that's Keep Going by Austin Cleon. It just came out last couple of weeks. Excellent. It's a cute little book, too. It, it would make cute. a nice gift. Yeah, they're like, what are they? What is that? Like six by six inches, maybe? Mm-hmm. All of his books, his, his two other books are the same size. So they make nice little chunks on your bookshelf yeah i finished and i'm so glad i did if beale street could talk by james baldwin i am a baldwin virgin (laughs) i've never read james baldwin it's one of those things that i find shameful you know Mm -hmm. um when we we saw the documentary remember about him that was probably two years ago right yeah so good every word that comes out of his mouth in that movie is like awe-inspiring right. and I was determined to read a Baldwin after that movie and it didn't happen but my book club chose to read it and it's the story of Tish and Fani and they're young people who've grown up in the same neighborhood they grew up as friends you know almost like siblings Fani was over at Tish's family's house as if it was he was there more than he was at his own family's house. And then there's this kind of change that happens as they become, well, Tish is a late teenager, 19, and Fani, I think, is a couple years older than her, where, you know, all of a sudden you look at that person, like this little light bulb goes <laughs> off on the top of your head, and they fall in love. They end up pregnant, 
and Fani ends up wrongfully accused of raping a white woman and ends up in jail. So the lion's share of the book is Tish visiting Fani in jail and then Tish and Fani's families trying to work together to pay a lawyer to get Fani out of jail. His writing is spectacular. It's just unbelievable. The sentences, I have post-it notes and different things. One of the things that I found fascinating was his use of italics. Interesting. And his use of the semicolon and the colon. (laughs) And I mean, I'm going to read this part that I'm not sure. To me, you have to read the italics kind of to get why it means something. So this is a scene where Tish is visiting Fani in prison. And she says, Fani, listen. Listen to what? What are we doing? What are we going to do about that fucking lawyer? He don't give a shit about me. He don't give a shit about nobody. That's italicized. You want me to die in here? You know what's going on in here? You know what's happening to me? To me? To me in here? And so the example of that last sentence, he says, to me, no italics. To me, italics on the me. To me, italics on the two and me. In here, italics in here. Mm -hmm. And when you read it that way, it's like he's saying to me, to me this is happening to me like that's such an unusual way to me of writing yeah you know and then he says in here like do you know where i am really like builds yeah the the language you can almost hear it yeah yeah i mean i just found it just so good and then there's a scene where tish's mom goes to puerto rico because the woman who's accused fanny of raping her has gone back to her home country, which is Puerto Rico. So she goes to try to talk with her, kind of to talk some sense into her. Like she brings a picture of Tish and Fani to say, like, this is the man you falsely accused. He has a family, you know, yeah. his, his girlfriend is pregnant. And so the, the mother is talking to the girl and um, the sentence is, the girl looks at her, attempting a scornful distance, But though she and envy are familiars, scorn is unknown to her. Mm. Oh, I just died when I read that sentence. So I loved the book. I thought it was brilliantly written. He's obviously, you know, sadly, this was written in, what was it? I think 64. Let me make sure I'm right about that. 74. I apologize. 74. Similar problems still happening today, Mm -hmm. which is what he was trying to point out with this book, I think, was this man was living his life. And what happened is, this is total spoiler, I'm sorry, I'm spoiling the entire book, but he, Fani and Tish had had an altercation with a man who was coming on to Tish inappropriately at a grocery store and Fani got heated and a police officer came up and this was in a different part of town than where they live And he didn't like the way he got talked to by the store owner. And, you know, he wanted to, he wanted to, you know, make Fani realize that he had done something wrong. And it didn't come to that. So later, when the police officer had a chance to put Fani in a lineup to be falsely accused, he made that happen. So it's, it's about bad cops also, and how hopeless of a situation it is when that happens. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend it. I would like to read more of his writing. I think he's a fantastic writer. If Beale Street Could Talk, James Baldwin. Well, I read A Lost Lady by Willa Cather for the Willa Cather Book Club. 
And it wasn't my first reading. I've read it multiple times. I mentioned before, A Lost Lady is one of her more popular novels. It really hit people in the right way. So 1923, it came out. And Cather is famous for saying, in 1922 or thereabouts, the world broke in two. Mm. And a lot of people look at that as her reaction to World War One and mm. the cataclysmic effects that that war brought on society. One of the things Cather did, too, like stylistically, she was trying to create an effect. She was trying to create emotions in the reader that mm. weren't necessarily produced by what was on the page but by what wasn't on the page. My book club members, everybody seemed to enjoy the book. One person, she wanted to slap the narrator, (laughs) (laughs) which I could totally get, because it is narrated by, at first he's a young boy, and then he's a young adult, and then later he's a, a grown man. Okay. So it's this guy looking at the woman who is a lost lady, Mrs. Forrester, who is the wife of a pioneer of Nebraska, and it's based on real people, as is often the case with Cather's novels. And Mr. Forrester was actually one of the founders of Red Cloud, Nebraska, which is where Cather had lived, who went on to represent the state, and he also was governor for a while. So he was a pioneer in the sense of he was a railroad man. He wasn't the guy with the plow pioneer. So um, he was one of the pioneers who created the infrastructure of the state. And... He, this is a spoiler a little bit, but he, he does pass away and his wife, who is a lady of the 19th century, with all the charms and cultural, what do you call it, cultural understanding and cultural ways of being, is she's left alone in this town and things are changing in the world and not for the good. Like the pioneering spirit is, they're dying literally, mm-hmm. and what's coming in its place is this crass materialism and I, I just a note to people who might be reading it for the first time is to really try and read it through the narrator's eyes and see mrs forrester that way mm. as opposed to wanting to slap him which i get <laughs> i totally get i've i've read books like that in the past i'm sure i'll read books like that in the future you just can't help it because right. like the first time i read this there's a bad guy in the book his name is ivy peters and the kids call him poison ivy Like, I just, he's just so vile and repulsive that the first time I read it, I just couldn't get past anything but what a dick this guy was. Right. So, that was A Lost Lady by Willa Cather. Highly recommend. I have to make a confession. So, I was really hoping to make it to the Willa Cather Book Club last Thursday because I was landing and... I ended up not being able to, but so I started listening to it. Oh, cool! So I know the characters are talking about it. Was it's only a, like a three-hour audio? It's, it's a very really short, a short novel, yeah. But I'm having a trouble with Overdrive, the mm. the library app, mm. you know, which they have the new one, Libby, which I transferred to and then didn't like it and went back. But maybe this is a reason that I need to go back to using Libby. For some reason, if I'm listening to it and I close the app and then go on about my life, then sometimes I'll come back and I'll stick my headphones in and it's been playing. Oh, that sucks. So that happened with The Lost Lady. So I was like, I don't know where I was. Okay. I listened to a good hour of it and All I was right. enjoying it. Yeah. And then I just thought, I now I got to figure out where I was. And I just was, I didn't have a thing, you know, I was driving or something, so I couldn't be looking at my phone. Right. And yeah. So I didn't get back to it, but I did listen to the first hour and I did like it. So nice. I'm a third of the way through. Very but, cool. Yeah. And I just a shout out to Cindy 
owner of the book club bookstore and more in South Windsor for hosting the Willow Cather Book Club. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, and Kate, one of our listeners who is down in the Bronx, came up again for the for the book nice. group discussion, which was great. That's so, fantastic. Yeah. I'm sorry that I missed getting to see everybody last week. Yeah. So hopefully I'll make it to one someday. <laughs> you will eventually, <laughs> I'm sure. It's quarterly, and it's amazing how quickly a quarter passes. It is, so, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So did you read anything else? The only thing I have read other than that was The Marriage of Fedra by Cather. It was oh, for right. the Short Willa Cather Short Story Project. And is it Fedra or Federa? I'm not sure how you pronounce Phaedra? it. Fedra? Fedra. Fedra. That might be how it is. I think that's what Kate said. Fedra. Oh, Fedra. Okay. Anyway, it's a short story about an artist who visits the studio of another famous artist who, who has passed away. And... I read it twice. The first time I didn't get that much out of it. I just thought it was kind of blah. I mean, it's a not, it's a short story in the Henry James tradition because Cather was a devotee of Henry James. Mm. And I'm not a big Henry James fan. Yeah. I just, I've read some stuff by him, but he doesn't grab me like he's supposed to. <laughs> I suppose <laughs> not to shit on myself. Right. Here we go again. Uh, I got more out of it the second time. And, and what I got out of it the second time was that, so this famous artist who dies had a man, as Englishmen of a certain class used to have, and his name is James. And this guy was picked by the artist as a young man. So he's been working for the artist his entire life, for the most part, pairing his oils and shellacking things. I can't, that's not the right word. but <laughs> um, So he's kind of overseeing the artist's studio since he's died, and his wife, the artist's wife, is gone usually traveling and whatnot. And in the end, there there are a bunch of betrayals that happen in this story. And in the end, it's James, I think, who gets screwed the most. Mm. And because, you know, here he is. He's this lower class guy who is of the servant class, who's been serving this man for decades. And now he's dead. The wife sells off his paintings. There's nothing for him. Yeah, that happens. It you happens know? today. And he's been yeah. such an advocate for this guy's art. Yeah. And the man who comes along, who I think is kind of a little bit like a snake in the garden, who destroys everything, also betrays him by not helping him in the end. So mm. for a short story that I didn't really care about a lot, once I re- read it the second time and started thinking about it more, I thought, oh, there's a lot packed into that. Mm, um, that's great. But I do look forward to getting to Cather's more, uh, well... I was going to say her more mature short stories. Let's just say her non-Henry James okay. short stories, <laughs> put it that way. So that's that's my reading. And you um, did a really nice write-up of that on your Chris Wolock blog. Oh, so you. I will post a link to that in the show notes. I highly recommend that people go to Chris's blog and participate in the short story read-along. Thanks, Emily. My pleasure. Biblio Adventures. Yes, we've had a lot. Yes. Before we get started, though, on our Biblio Adventures, we want to remind people that they can donate to the Book Cougars. On Patreon. Patreon. Or you can contact us directly for other options as well. We appreciate your support to keep us independent and to keep us going. It helps us go on these adventures. And we are also looking into buying some better sound equipment to improve our sound quality. Right. So thank you so much to those of you who already contribute. We appreciate it. 
Yes. And you can go to our website, bookcougars.com. There is a donation link there. On the same page is also a place where you can subscribe to our newsletter. We send a monthly newsletter out. We do not send you anything but this newsletter, and we don't sell your email address. We don't even know how to do that. So... (laughs) But if you're interested in subscribing to the newsletter, you do sometimes get some behind-the-scenes information, Mm -hmm. videos, things like that. So thank you to everybody just who listens. We really appreciate you. This is a labor of love for us, but it's not a labor. It's just mostly love. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So Biblio Adventures, I watched If Beale Street Could Talk. Oh, cool. It was directed by Barry Jenkins, who was the director of Moonlight. For those of you who saw that, that was an Academy Award-winning movie two years ago, last year. I can't remember. It really had the flavor of the 70s. I thought he did a fantastic job with the imagery of it. The um, he captured the love between Tish and Fani. It's that love, young, googly-eyed love, you know, discovering each other's bodies for the first time. That kind of love. I felt like the scenes were lit in this really kind of glowing way. And Regina King, Regina, Regina, Regina King, King. I love won her. an Academy Award for her portrayal of Tish's mother. She did a fantastic job. This is like the year, her year. She's won Emmys and. All sorts of stuff. She's a great actress. Her time is definitely here. I mean, I've been watching her for years. And I watched it, I think it was on Netflix or Hulu. I can't remember, but I streamed it and it was really good. I highly recommend it. I would read it first and then watch the movie. movie. Very cool. Nice. Well, I went to see Mary Norris. Yes. It was a lot of fun. She was at the, I always say the LeGrau Center. I think it's the LeGrau Center. Oh, okay. I don't remember how to pronounce it. But she was there, and this event was in partnership with the with Bank Square Books. Mary Norris, for those of you who might know, her first book was Between You and Me, Confessions of a Comma Queen. <laughs> and her new book, which is what she was there at this event for, is Greek to Me, Adventures of the Comma Queen. So Mary was a copywriter for The New Yorker. And the event was in conversation with Alyssa Sweets, mm-hmm. who is the events manager for both Bank Square Books and the Savoy Bookstore. So the event started with Alyssa asking Mary some grammar questions, some punctuation questions. Uh, first up was... That's hilarious. What is Mary's take on the Oxford comma? Mm. And Mary said, well, for starters, I call it the serial comma. She thinks that calling it the Oxford comma is a bit pretentious. <laughs> um, but really, she said, you know, it's not a moral issue, people. She's like, people get so hot and heated yeah. about it, which is quite true. And I, I kind of love to stoke the, the fires a little bit because I think it's fun yeah. um, that people argue about <laughs> punctuation. Yeah. But there was a court case not long ago where it involved overtime at this company and there was not a comma and the, the workers won the case against the company because, as Mary says, this, the point of the serial comma is to prevent ambiguity. Mm. So if you don't have that third comma, it can cause ambiguity, which obviously it did in that court case, which mm. involved, I think, millions of dollars. Wow. And one thing she said is it does take up space, and she talked about uh, the Webster's Dictionary, and I guess there was a huge shift from the second edition to the third that caused a lot of brouhaha in the punctuation world and word world. But by taking out that 
third comma, Webster's Dictionary saved 36 pages by eliminating it. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Well, it can move. I mean, you know, think about when you're typing something. It can move things down a whole right, exactly. you know, line. Yeah. So I get it. So then the other thing they talked about was whether or not to have two spaces after a period. Oh. Which is another big issue. And I guess there's a whole organization about this called the Wide Space Society. Which <laughs> <laughs> I haven't looked them up yet. So oh, my God. <laughs> we'll have to check them That's out. That's hilarious. Yeah. I love it. Um, and again, she said this is not a moral issue. Um, she said, actually, <laughs> the newer typeface is designed to only have one space. Oh, She said this is how this typeface is designed. So it actually doesn't look right with these certain types if you have the two spaces. Huh. So, yeah, it depends on the type. I love that mantra of hers, this is not a moral issue. You know yes. that she had to use that in her work life when right. people were freaking out. And it'd be like, like I have a background in restaurants. And when people were freaking out about broccoli or something, yeah. my mantra was, this is not plasma, people. Right. You know, we're talking about broccoli. Right. You know, so, it's going to die. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so she must be, you know, like, okay, we're arguing over a period. Right. Or, you know, or maybe she got into some arguments with writers about their writing yeah. or something as she was editing. Oh, I'm sure a lot of readers yeah. and whatnot. You know, and the thing that she said is like every house or magazine publication, they have a style guide. Right. So you're following the style guide. That's what this is. And right. it's not a moral issue. Again, right. it's a style guide. That's the thing to keep in mind. Um, but she was really funny. She started, she did read from the book, which was uh, Greek to me. She's uh, traveled to Greece about eight times or so. Wow. So it's kind of about her adventures there and language. It's a book about language a lot. Oh, Condé Nast. You talked about that magazine. Yeah. I thought this was an interesting connection um, to that is that when they bought The New Yorker, The New Yorker was the only weekly magazine that they owned. Mm. All the other magazines were monthlies, so they didn't understand the needs of those workers. So she said it took a while for them to get heat at night because a (laughs) weekly magazine does have a night shift because, like, you're working, like, around the clock to prep for this this issue. And, Mm -hmm. you know, she's like, their deadline used to be on a Monday, and you work the weekends, but one of the new editors is like, well, I don't want to work the weekends. Let's make the deadline Friday. And just so, like, all of those different kind of work behind-the-scenes things that you don't think much about magazines and what happens when there's a new owner who maybe doesn't understand your needs because they're making these assumptions based on a a monthly magazine. Yeah, so so different. Yeah. The weekly thing, I can't even imagine. I can't imagine getting it. I mean, I love reading a New Yorker when I see it or if I go Mm -hmm. to someone's house, you know, that Mm -hmm. gets it. But boy, I I can't even get through my once a week newspaper that I get. I get the Sunday Times and it's always stacked up around my house because I just can't get through it. Yeah. So I can't imagine getting the New Yorker. I know my mother-in-law used to get it and I used to love you know, reading it, you know, bits and pieces. And Laura and I have discussed whether or not to get a subscription here and there, but I know we wouldn't read it. I think once I retire, that might be one of my gifts. Yeah. I mean, I'll look at it at the library. Yeah. Because it's great to see what's coming up. Yeah. um, And whatnot. She talked about, and I, I, I could be wrong. I don't know if it was the New Yorker or the New York Times. Maybe it was the New Yorker. Um, but they got rid of their copy editing staff years ago. Wow. And, you know, she said it's such a shame that that happened because copy editors are, she described them as advocates for the reader. 
Mm. You know, they're like the go between between the publisher and the author and the reader. Like because mm-hmm. they can, they're the ones who could really make like a paragraph sing. Mm-hmm. Is a quote that she's, you know, a quote that I wrote down from her. Now, and I think Alyssa's, you know, they were both talking about that. And you see clunkier sentences, clunkier paragraphs, and yeah. that's because they don't have that yeah. copy editing department anymore. So, so she's retired. I believe she is. Yeah. Yes, there was a nice write up about her in the New York Times recently about her apartment. You sent yeah, it to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'll put it in the show notes. It's a very cute it was in the real estate section of the Times. It's yeah, very sweet. Really nice. So I bought a copy of Between You and Me. So I'll be reading that in the future. Great. Yeah. How fun. Mary Norris, check her out. She's on tour now. Yeah. So, you know, look look up uh, her website and, and maybe you can catch her. She's doing events around the country. I went to RJ's and I saw Roz Chast and Patricia Marks. They were talking about their new book, Why Don't You Write My Eulogy Now So I Can Correct It, A Mother's Suggestions. (laughs) It was hilarious. They're like a comedy duo. They've done a lot of work together. And actually, the way that they met is that Patricia Marks, years ago, had an article in The the New Yorker. Mm. And Roz Chast was tasked with doing an illustration for it. Cool. And Patricia Marks, whose mother is still alive, I think she's 96 or something, when this article came out, her mother's response to Patricia about, remember, Patricia had written the article, Roz Chast did the illustration, her mother picked up the phone and called Patricia and said, nice illustration, (laughs) (laughs) you know, she knew it wasn't by her daughter, but it was just hilarious, like, that's a classic mom, right? right? And so, and then her mother proceeded to say, you need to meet this woman, you two need to be friends, so her mother was the matchmaker Whoa, that Patricia Marks reached out because she said, you do what mom says, you know, <laughs> and this they've done many things together. But this one um, is things that Patricia wrote based on things her mother said throughout the years to her. And it's hilarious. And Roz does the illustrations and Patricia did the writing for it. And they are like a comedy duo. I feel like they've probably worked together for 20 years. They know each other so well that they finish each other's sentences, you know. (laughs) And they had um, a really cool PowerPoint throughout the the time where they showed different images from this book, but also from other things they've done together. And then they've also started... A ukulele team. You posted that clip on (laughs) our Facebook page. Hilarious. They're so So cute. Funny. And they had they bought these little blue ukuleles. I think they said they're like $49 on Amazon. And they taught themselves how to play ukulele and they sing songs together. So yes, on our Instagram I posted a little video of them playing. And um so it was a really fun evening. Lots of laughing. Um, I highly recommend this book as a Mother's Day gift. Uh huh. Just hilarious. If you have the right mother person in your life, you know, <laughs> that has a sense of humor, I think it would be a wonderful book. I also, I skipped though because I forgot that I had a whole trip. You did. And you did some bookish things. <laughs> I did. Yeah. I was staying with my dear friend from my youth. I met her in kindergarten, Shuli Kaywood. Shuli has been on episode 22 and 64 of the book Cougars. Episode 22, she was on for her book, The Going and Goodbye, which is a memoir. And then episode 64 was her book launch for 52 Things I Wish I Could Have Told Myself When I Was 17. 
another book that would make an excellent Mother's Day right. gift. Yeah. And if you go back to listen to that first episode with Julie, I think that's where I asked her, can you tell me a little bit about Emily as a young person? <laughs> and she told the story of you showing up, was it like at first grade? Wearing third grade. A, third grade, wearing a little business suit. Yes. So there was a little Emily oh business lady, even back then. Thank you, Chris, for <laughs> rehashing that story. <laughs> I have to say, though, like, Shuli and I wrote stories together, all not together, separately, but mm-hmm. we wrote stories growing up, you know, particularly in middle school. Mm-hmm. I don't write anymore for a reason, but it is so exciting for me to say out loud that Shuli has books mm-hmm. published. Absolutely, you know, yeah. I just and she has it's... irons in the fire for a poetry collection and a short story collection. Nice. So she's yeah. she's doing wonderfully. Yeah. So I went down to Johnson City, Tennessee, which is where she lives. They have a lovely little airport there, actually. Um, I had to do a site visit for work in North Carolina. And Shuli's very close to the border of North Carolina, so it worked out really well. Then I took a day off, and we played, and we went to Jonesboro, Tennessee, went to their little public library, which is great. It's so funny now when I walk into a library, I don't really judge it based on, you know, their books. I judge it based on workspace. (laughs) I'm like, could I work here? Which is kind of funny, but um, it was a sweet little library. And then Jonesboro is also the home of the International Storytelling Center, That has a very cool festival, storytelling festival, the first, I think it's the first weekend of October Hmm. every year. So this coming year, it's October 4th through 6th. Really cool. I will post a link to it in the show notes. And then we went out to supper one night, and they took me to this great used bookstore called Mr. K's. It has books and music, which Hmm. you don't see music that much, like records anymore yeah yeah and um an amazing selection and there's a few different locations but this was the location in johnson city and at the end we went up and Shuli is an extrovert i'm an introvert and she said had to say to the guy like this is my friend emily she has a literary podcast i wanted to hide behind Shuli, but (laughs) but it it broke the ice which is always lovely thank you Shuli. and so i said to him what are you reading right now and he said, I'm doing a reread of Lonesome Dove. Oh, great He book. said it's his fifth time reading it. Mm. And this is not a small book. I mean, yeah. this book's probably a thousand pages. I've read it. I loved it, too. Um, and I, so I said to him, why do you reread? I mean, here he is in a building with hundreds of books, right? Why do you reread? And he just looked at me and he said, well, to me, it's no different than listening to the same song over and over. Right. Yeah. I had never had someone say that to me. It made so much sense yeah. when he said it, right? That's cool. Um, and he said, I have pieces of music I listen to over and over. I feel the same way about this, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Just revisiting. It's like revisiting lyrics, yeah. you know? And you hear different things. Yes. Understand different things. And it means something to you at different times, yeah. right? Like, I have breakup songs, you know, that meant something... So different to me right after the breakup than they yeah. mean to me now. But like, don't they still you know. put you back? Oh, into yeah. That, like, bam, oh. right back into Right it, away. You know? Yeah. Right away. Absolutely. So it was a really fun time. It was great to spend time with Shuli and her husband. It made a work trip fun. That's great. Which is yeah. great, too. So. I feel like I know Shuli, even though I've never met her. Yeah. You know, because we've talked on the phone yeah. twice. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, through you, I hear stories and everything. So one of these days, Julie, we'll meet. Yes, that's right. We'll get her back here someday. (laughs) 
So did you, we had one, a joint, John? Yes, so Delia Owens, we went to see her last night. She was initially going to be at RJ Julia Bookstore here in Madison, Connecticut, the town next door to us. That sold out immediately. They moved it to a bigger location. That sold out immediately. And that location was the country school. Right. We kept calling it the Country Day School, but that was the school from Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, it's actually the Country School. They do go to school during the day, though, so they I don't do. feel so bad. Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> words. Words. Words matter. Um, yeah, so she was there at the school in the gymnasium. They were expecting 500 people, so I know you got multiple emails saying, hey, dudes, this is the deal. You know, if you already have a ticket, please get there. Be in seat by 645 so we can open it up. To overflow. And I know when we got there, there were a lot of people milling about outside. Yeah. So I don't know if those were some of the overflow people, but everybody did get in. Yeah. There, there were seats available. They had uh, a lot of her books there for sale. Her new one, where the crawdad sing. And then her two nonfiction books that are about her work in Africa as an animal behaviorist. Right. Cry of the Kalahari. Which is, these are all nonfiction, although she said when she was speaking, they're written in a very novelistic yeah, fashion. Yeah, she said they have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah, which is interesting. So, um, Cry of the Kalahari, Secrets of the Savannah, The Eye of the Elephant, and Survivor's Song. Those are her four books. Wow. Now, they didn't have all four of those they had last two night. Of them. Yeah. yeah. I think Cry of the Kalahari is the one that's won a bunch of awards. Okay. I could be wrong about that. Mm. But then they also had some books she recommended. Yes. And those, I'll just tell you now, the three books she recommended were To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee, A Sand County Almanac by Aldo Leopold, and West with the Night by Beryl Markham. Yeah, and what she said about To Kill a Mockingbird is that it's that, that taught her that it's okay to see the world through a young girl's eyes. Right. Which is... Just so important. Right. And which Honestly. where the crawdads sing is very much through the world of a young girl. Yeah. I really enjoyed her talk. One of the things she she said is she connected it so much to her work as an animal behaviorist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see animals doing these things, fighting over territory, fighting over mates, and that humans do the same thing. You know, we fight over our fence lines with neighbors and We may not necessarily kill people over a mate, although people do do it still. You hear about this, especially teenagers. Um, She was fascinated with that and was really lonely for quite a while because she was living in isolation. And so she wanted to explore what isolation and these mammal behaviors would be like in a a young person who is isolated. Right. Right. And... Mm -hmm. um, so she taught, she, I wrote a quote down from her that it's an exploration of the raw core of human nature is what she wanted to pursue in her book. And like I said, I just started it. Emily read it and absolutely adored it. And she also talked about, which is a great connection to what I was just mentioning about Willa Cather in the style of trying to evoke feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said that for her... You know, it's not just about reading, but about feeling something. Right. And she wanted to feel something. She wanted her readers to feel something. And she said she still cries mm-hmm. when she reads the book. You know, she's like, I've read this in manuscripts so many times. And she still cries when she reads it now. Yeah. And she was surprised 
by how it hit readers. Mm -hmm. She didn't anticipate people responding to the book quite so deeply. And she said she thinks a lot of that comes from the fact that it's about loneliness and isolation. And, you know, now that she's been on this big tour, because this is her paperback tour. No, this is just a continued tour, yeah, I think. Continued, yeah, yeah um, that, you know, people she's met people in New York City who are lonely and people in you know Boston who are lonely. Right. That it doesn't have to mean that you live and, in the wilds of Africa for 20 years to exactly. feel lonely. Yeah. And that that's how come people connect with Kaya, who's the protagonist of yeah. the book. I think that the worst kind of loneliness is when you are surrounded by other people. Absolutely. And you're lonely. Ugh. The worst loneliness is being married to someone and being lonely. Absolutely. I'm here to say yeah. but that's a whole other kind of lonely, yeah. you know. But, um, yeah, and, I mean, she also, one of the, they, she spoke for probably only about 15 minutes, but it was captivating. Oh, yeah. And then they opened it up to questions, and one of the things, you know, she did... She actually described the plot of the story more than I thought she would. But mm -hmm. then she said, please, people, when you ask questions, please, no spoilers, no spoilers, yeah. no spoilers. Cause, yeah, because she said sometimes when you ask a question, just the phrasing of it could be a spoiler. Right. And so what happens? Oh. Somebody asks a question and the, half of the audience was like, no! I mean, I gasped. I mean, yeah. it was such... She was just setting up the question, and it was like, spoiler, 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 spoiler. I know. It's like, stop talking! I know. People were like, what the fuck? Yeah, like, oh, I was mad for the people. You know, you get angry for the people who, like... Well, the whole point of reading a book is discovering what's going right. to happen, right? I mean, talk about animal behavior. She was lucky she didn't get, like, pummeled. I know. Well, she said... <laughs> when she finished her question, she said, should I leave now? Yeah. <laughs> Run, don't uh, yeah, walk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, you should leave. Yeah, no, I, I mean, know. she it made happened. a mistake. I mean, yeah. I, I totally, yeah. I mean, we're kind of laughing about it. and yeah. But it's true. Like, you just, you're wrapped up in the moment. And you've read this book that you love. And there's the author. And I think you do. You just get wrapped up in the moment. And you just don't think things through all the right. time. I'm sure all of us are capable right. of just right. losing our minds yeah. in that I'll way. say the thing I try to say as a daily mantra She's doing the best she can. <laughs> you know, the funny thing, too, is Delia talks about it. I mean, this book has, a, there's a, it's a murder mystery. Mm -hmm. And she started to talk about that. And I was like, <gasps> and then I realized, like, oh, that happens at the very beginning. Right. I turned, you, I turned to you and yeah. I said, oh, is that a spoiler? Yeah. And, and you thought for a second, and you're like, no, it's right in the beginning. And I think it was actually, like, on the first page. Yeah, it was. When I so then I felt it. better. Because, yeah. you know, by the time you finish a book, you're like, I don't know. When did that happen? You yeah. know? But it was a really interesting mix in the audience, too. Mm -hmm. I yeah. mean, it's definitely a beloved book. And another person asked her if she's surprised at the success of it, which is a tricky question to answer. I'm like, well, what do you say? No, I thought everybody would love it, you know. <laughs> but she did. I thought she answered it very in a very politically astute way because she said, you know, I think, again, with this issue of isolation and loneliness, it doesn't surprise me that people are drawn to the book. Right, yeah. You know, I don't think she expected Reese Witherspoon to make it a book club read, and now she's producing she's it into a movie, movie and, you know, all of that. Yeah, and, Delia yeah. said she was in L.A. just a couple weeks ago meeting with Reese to talk about it, and she said Reese was delightful and charming and just so enthusiastic. Yeah. And I, so another audience member asked if Delia had read Educated. Oh, right, by Tara Westover. Yeah, and if she did or if she hadn't, like... What did she think about, you know, the similarities? And uh, Delia said she hadn't read it, but that it's on her nightstand. But she knows about what the book is about. And she said, you know, the woman and educator wasn't necessarily isolated in quite the same way. Mm -hmm. But she was not with 
her kind of people. Right. So there was that isolation. And and again, poss- I don't know if Delia said this, but again, possibly another reason why that book has been so popular, too, yeah. is the struggle of a, a young woman. Well, I think there's also, I mean, I think the one thing she didn't touch on, at least I didn't hear her touch on it, and in doing the comparison with Educated, which I did read, I think people are also fascinated by people who can survive in spite of their circumstance, right? right? And, and both of the... Yes. Not just survive, but thrive, yeah. right? And yeah. both of these books are about that in yeah. very different ways. They survive in very different ways, but um, yeah. Yeah, that's what she uh, she said, um, is that the, the comparison for her comes down to that we can do more than we think we can. Yeah, for sure. kind of like yeah. uh, the uh, kind of a bottom line comparison. But I thought she was adorable when yeah. she first came out because she said, you know, I have lived in Africa for 23 years observing elephants and lions. She's like, I've been charged by lions on multiple occasions. I've been charged by elephants tons of times. And she's like, and standing here in front of you all, I get the same feeling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she definitely is, you know, shy. And um, I mean, I'm always admire authors who what they do for a living is such a solitary pursuit. And then in order to sell their book, they have to really put themselves out in the world in such a different way. And I'm always impressed by that. So And she lives in northern Idaho now, surrounded by tons of wildlife. Yeah. So Yeah, someone in the audience asked her, you know, if she misses observing wildlife and she said, Well, where I live now. Yeah. Sorry. That was my ring falling off. Where she lives now, she's surrounded by wildlife, a different kind of wildlife, but definitely has it in her life. So upcoming jaunts. Well, upcoming jaunts, I'll be, well, this is not exactly bookish, but I'm, I just have to give a shout out to Laura, my wife, because I'm so proud of her. Um, one of her plays is in a festival this weekend coming up, a uh, festival of new works. It's by the Theater Artist Workshop in Norwalk, Connecticut. So I'll be going to that this weekend. I can't wait. That's so Her exciting. play is called Meet Me in the Lobby. It's a 10 minute short play. And for those of you who might recognize Laura's name, she was she's been on the yeah, podcast twice. Yeah, she's been twice. on the podcast twice. So Laura Toma. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So Laura was on episode nineteen for her workbook, and then sixty six for her radio play version of her play, Yours and Words, which you know we've had listeners write in saying how much they enjoyed listening to that radio play. It's kind of old timey. It's really um, fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So I'll be doing that this weekend. How about you? I, I will. I know. Yeah. You're going to some serious bookish things this I weekend. I am. I'm going to the Newburyport Literary Festival, which sadly, by the time this airs, will be over. I have talked about it on prior episodes. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm bringing my gentleman caller. <laughs> he has told me that, you know, he just plans to follow whatever I want to do. But there is the good cool, man. Good yeah, man. Good man. <laughs> there is. He's like, I'll carry as many books as you buy. <laughs> Um, there, it, there are different tracks to this festival, and the nonfiction track has some folks that I think he'd be really interested in listening to. So we'll see how whether we split up or stick together. I'll report back when we record next. And we want to remind people that Booktopia is happening May 2nd through 4th. There are still tickets available. It is such a fun weekend. Northshire Bookstore in Manchester, Vermont. Chris and I both have, you know, oh. such a fond place in our hearts because it's how we met yes you know totally how we we met and this is going to be the first year in many years that we're not going yeah. because we just have a lot of other things 
irons in the fire, as they say. Yeah. So we'll miss seeing everybody because you know it, it initially was about the books, but now it's about the friends. And right. We'll, we'll miss seeing everybody. But yeah, last year we were able to go up for the day and spend the night, and we went on Saturday night. If you don't join and buy a ticket and do all of the author breakout sessions, you can just go to Northshire Books on Saturday night. All the authors that are there, that event is open to the public, and they all speak about their books mm-hmm. and do like a, I don't know, five to ten minute presentation kind of about whatever they want to do right. on yeah. at that point in the weekend. And so last year we were there for that. And again, as Chris said, it was just so nice to see our friends. So I still, in my heart, I'm saying to myself, maybe I'll hop in the car Saturday and drive up there. But I've just been so busy with work. Um, We'll see if I can swing it. Fingers crossed. Yes. And then we also have Book Expo. Yay! Book Expo is coming up at the Javits Center in New York. That is the big North American everything about the book industry conference. Right. We're so excited. That's May 29th through 31st. We're going to stay at the... Aunt Ellen Hotel. Thank you, Aunt Ellen, in advance. Yay. Can't wait to see you again. <laughs> and we're going to um, see our friend Russell, who has the vlog, Ink and Paper vlog, right? Or blog. I never know how to I say it. I think they call it channel now. Channel. Channel on YouTube. Booktube channel. Yeah, I'm so not hip. I got to yeah. get, get the link. Set us straight on that, Russell, yeah, would you? Please. <laughs> so lots of bush, bookish things coming up. Upcoming reads. Well, I found this one when I was at the library. I was hoping to find all these different editions of Gone with the Wind on the shelf. But as you said earlier, they're They're checked out. They're checked out and being read. But I did find this one by Margaret Mitchell, Lost Laysen. I'd never heard of it. Mm -hmm. I'd only heard that Margaret Mitchell wrote one book in her life. This is a short book that is based on a story she sent to her lover or wrote with him. I'm not even sure of all the details, but Henry Love Angel was his name. So it's kind of a novella that she wrote, and it has a lot of the themes that were later in Gone with the Wind, but I checked it out, and I do plan on reading it, but it has all these fantastic pictures of them together and with their friends. They acted out scenes from from movies back oh, wow. in the day, and I just thought this looked like such a, a charming book. And I will report back on it next week. I'm going to read it before I start Gone with the Wind. Oh, that's a good idea. So this is Lost Laysen, Margaret Mitchell. Huh, how interesting. I have been back in the world of philanthropy full throttle since the beginning of the year. And it just reminds me of how much I love it and what a special place it holds in my heart. And particularly when, when you work on the funding side, which is such a privilege, you get to step into the world of all these nonprofits doing incredible work, but you don't do the heavy lifting, you know? I mean, I get to decide if they get money or not, which is really lovely (laughs) for me. Um, But, you know, it's just, it's hard to explain, but it's like you get to hear about all these good works Mm -hmm. that are happening in the world. And so it reminded me about this book, The Giver's, Wealth, Power, and Philanthropy in a New Gilded Age by David Callahan. I spoke about this book over a year ago. I saw him when I was in Portland. And this book is really about the fact that we do have such tremendous wealth in this country. And these folks are forming foundations. And some of them are doing work that 
we might find commendable, and some of them are doing work that is frightening. Depending on where you land on a spectrum. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And I've been really fortunate, like the family that I work with, they're a Quaker family, and their beliefs are very similar to mine, you know, and what they're interested in funding is really interesting to me. And then I've also been doing some volunteer work for the Community Foundation of Greater New Haven. Incredible nonprofits in New Haven. It makes me so proud to live here Mm -hmm. and to know that there are organizations doing such good work and then also um melinda gates who is part of the duo that holds the keys to the kingdom on the i think one of if not the one of the wealthiest foundations in our country the gates foundation just wrote a book called the moment of lift how Mm -hmm. empowering women changes the world and I am desperate to read her book as well. So these are two that I'm putting back on my radar because I really want to step back into reading nonfiction books about the nonprofit sector. Nice. Excellent. All right. Well, this is a longish episode. Oh, we didn't it? anticipate that. Oh, I didn't know. It yeah. feels like it's been a minute. I know, right? Doesn't it? <laughs> I love talking about books with you. I know. It's so fun. And we hope that y'all get some reading time. Yes. I know I'm looking forward to some, some this weekend. And um, report into us if you are reading on social media. Yeah, let us know what you're excited about. Like, what books are really getting your your glands going? That doesn't sound right. That sounds a little frisky, Chris. <laughs> Whatever is making you happy. Yeah. In all the that. right places. <laughs> Social media, email. We love hearing from you. We love seeing pictures of your stacks of books. Whatever yes. you can do makes us happy. Absolutely. Happy, happy reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Hoovers with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. To keep the bookish conversation going online, join our Goodreads group or connect with us on social media. If you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read, you can donate on Patreon. And if you have a minute to review us on whatever app you use to listen to us, we appreciate it. It can help other listeners find us. Thanks, everybody.